sleep, and uh, so if you see mosquito bites on my head, it's because uh, I forgot that hair is like a natural repellent. Um, this is the first summer I've gone out with like a, well, I guess it may be the second summer, but I may, may have forgotten. It's not a, it's a lesson that you should forget. So guys that have hair like mine, which is pretty much non-existent, you know, like Eric, um, where'd he go? I pointed at Brian. Brian's got a lot of hair for his age. Uh, but like DJ and I and those with male pattern baldness, you may want to use bug spray when you go out to camp. Because uh, I saw them pick up a camper and like move him 10 feet. Um, and he was just a pile of bones afterwards. Anyway, uh, we've been out there all week long. And I've had a lot of good times uh, sharing the gospel with these kids. So if I get excited today and do like karate chops and all that, it's because I'm still excited that kids gave their life to Jesus. And like kids would come up to me throughout the week and say, hey, I, I finally did it. I'm like, what did you do? And they're like, I gave my life to Jesus. And it, like, gets excited, you know, and you just want to, like, shake them and, you know, do all sorts of crazy things with them. Anyway, uh, growing up, like, as I was playing with these kids, you know, in the Gaga pit and fishing with them and boating with them and, and trying to get into their world, a lot of things, like, flooded back, memories from my childhood. And one of them is some advice that my mom gave me. Did you ever get advice from your mother? How many people get advice from their mother? How many people still get advice from their mother? How many mothers still give advice to your children? And they're like, you know, 60 and they have their own grandchildren, but you're still trying to mother them, right? That's their job, right? Well, my mom's advice shaped me for good. Without my mom's advice in my life, I, I would be not the person I am today. And some of you are thinking, you should have seen me before my mom's advice. If you think I'm bad now, you should have seen me before my mom's advice. And one of these advices came to the top, kind of flooded to the surface of my memories. And, and she would repeat this phrase, a couple of them together, two of them together, like a couplet. Uh, quite often when I would be leaving the house to go to like a friend's house, or I'd be going on an all-nighter, or I'd be going uh, out to go see the movies, or mini-golf, or whatever, she would repeat, repeat two phrases. And these phrases were this. Have you washed behind your... And do you have clean underwear on? Okay? Now, it was cute the first three or four years, like when I was in grade school. But as I entered junior high and my friends would pick me up and come inside, and she would say these phrases out the door, Have you washed behind your ears and have you put clean underwear on? It kind of became embarrassing, okay? In senior high, as I started to drive on my own, she'd say the same thing. Finally, one day, I decided I was going to ask her, why in the world do you say these two phrases to me? It's just, you're embarrassing me. Why are you saying this? And she said this, very seriously. And my mom doesn't mess around. She said, you never know if you're going to be in an accident. And you might end up in the ER. Well, you better be sure you've Wash behind your ears, and you have clean underwear on. So let's fast forward a few years. I'm in college, freshman year, and uh, one night I go to bed having like a, this really weird, sharp pain in my side, and uh, I thought it was just like the 15 tacos that I ate for dinner, and, and then a follow-up ice cream, and then, you know, another taco to top it off, and some Mountain Dew, you know, to pack it all down. Um, I gained like the freshman 20, you know, the, there's usually like 15 or whatever, I gained like 20. Um, anyway, I woke up the next morning like in fetal position, 
Like now the sharp pain is like someone is taking a dagger and doing this to that side of my body. And, and I'm like, it's stuck in fetal position and I can't get out of it. Every time I try to get a foot out of bed, I'm like, I'll just go take a shower. That'll help. So I'm like putting my foot out. Oh, oh. And my, my RD just happened to be head of the EMT squad, like the kids in training, like, and they had their own million-dollar ambulance, and it was rad. And so he was, like, in charge of that. So he's like, we're going to get you to the hospital. So he rushed me off to the hospital after a few pokes and a few prods and a whole lot of pain. Like, I went to the whole, you know, the whole way to the hospital like this. They didn't lay me flat. They just velcroed me in like this because that's all I can do. And they start the IV drip, and things start feeling better. And the anesthesiologist comes in as they rush me into emergency surgery to remove my appendix because it's crumbling or doing something. It's going to be bad. I remember two things. Have I watched behind my ears and I pray to God I am wearing commandos? Out of all the thoughts I could have at that moment, those were the two. And I remember waking up, hoping and praying that those two were yes and yes. Voices in our life truly shape us, do they not? It could be your mom, it could be your dad, it could be teachers, it could be your friends, it could be your enemies. But their words, their voices truly shape us, whether we want them to or not. Some are good, some are bad, some are encouraging, some are discouraging, some build you up. Many tear you down. And to make matters worse and even more complicated, the TV has a voice. Your iPod has a voice. Your phones have voices. And they follow you and they scream things at you and they're trying to show you things. And media, 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 voices, voices, voices. And it's hard to distinguish which one should really get our attention. What if all these voices, out of all these voices, one was the clearest? What if out of all these voices, the loudest and clearest voice that you heard speaking to your, your mind and to your heart and into your life was God's? And that's what we've been talking about, that God is closer than you think. And today we're going to be discovering how do we find God's voice. What if every day you were able to hear, recognize, and respond to God's voice? What kind of effect would that have on our day? The decisions we made, the source of advice we went to. Now, when we talk about someone being fully devoted to Christ, it means basically this, that they know what he desires, and then they obey by following through with it immediately. Listen to what Jesus says about that relationship, and this isn't in our passage yet. This is just a little warm-up. Look what Jesus says about his true followers. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they do what? They follow me. They follow me. Now, the word to know out of John 10, 14 through 15, and then verse 27, it means basically this. It doesn't just mean to be aware of it. Um, as parents, we have this incredible survival mechanism. We can tune out our children. Yeah. 
Have you ever been there as a parent and your, your child is speaking, but there's just like nothing happening between their mouths and your ears? It's this, this frequency that's now just tuned out. It's amazing. The more children you get, the more mumbled it gets anyway, and it just starts to go, and they like cancel each other. So like one will get loud, the other will get loud, and the waves hit each other, and just there's nothing there. And you just have kids around the table doing this. And my, my wife and I, we just sit at the table, and we just talk with each other, and the chaos is swirling around us, and it's like we're the only people in the room. It's a survival mechanism. But that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But guess what? That's usually our mode of operation. Somehow, we've learned to tune out the voice that we should be listening to the most. Now, my daughter will grab me by the face and say, Dad, listen to me now. You know, look me in the eyes. Molly used to do that, and now Maggie does that. I think she's passed that knowledge down to her. And that, they've got my full attention. Now, when God does that to you, it's not very pleasant, is it? It's usually through a tragedy or something happening in your life to wake you up, to grab your attention. And a follower of Christ, it basically means that we have a relationship with him that's very intimate. That means we are longing to hear his voice. For the first followers of Jesus, spending time, it was spending time with him. It was watching him. It was talking with him. It was working with him. It was playing with him. It was eating with him. It was learning from him. It was sitting around a campfire with him. It was watching him perform miracles. And of course, the advantages they have against us or over us is that he was there physically present like you could see and touch and feel him. The air is here, and I can kind of feel it. Well, that's how he is today. But Kevin Rose is here. He's really here, like physically. And I can touch him. And I can poke him, and I can watch him, and I can observe him. And so it's harder for us sometimes to really hear that voice. Because as fallen creatures we are, sinful nature that we have, we like to see it with our own eyes. We're like the doubting Thomas. Prove it to me. Show me you're really there. But God gives, or Jesus gives the disciples a promise. And it's for us today, too. It's in Matthew, and it's his last words before he goes to heaven. And he says, I am with you, how long? Always. Even to the very end of the age. Well, the disciples aren't around on earth, are they? And the age is still continuing, correct? So that promise is for us, too. He is with us. He is here. And God is closer than you think he is. The truth is, God is not very distant. He is really, really, really scary, really close. He's closer than we think. And it's up to us if we really want to hear from God or not. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12, 25. See to it that you do not refuse God who speaks. There are two very important decisions you have to make when considering this. One is you have to have a desire to hear his voice. So we've been talking about having a desire to see him and see him moving in our lives the last three weeks. Pastor Andy has shared, Pastor Jack has shared, and we're all on the same topic of trying to find God and being able to hear him. And it's our desire, it's where it starts. We must desire to hear his voice. But secondly, 
We must be ready and willing to do what that voice tells us to do, no matter what, immediately. Now, there's a great story that involved a young boy named Samuel. One of the great stories out of Sunday school as a kid growing up. I love this one because it was it's just kind of very humorous at, in the beginning, you know. And Samuel's been brought to the temple by his mother at the age of three and dedicated to God's service for his whole entire life. Imagine dropping your child off at the age of three at the temple, seeing him probably every once in a while, but he's there. That's his job. You dedicated him to the temple. Now turn to 1 Samuel 3. 1 Samuel 3. It's in the Old Testament. Near the front of your Bible. 1 Samuel 3. This is where we will pretty much stay the rest of the time. 1 Samuel 3. Verse 1. Now, the boy Samuel, and the word boy here isn't three-year-old. Okay, he's grown up. He's, he's been in the, the Lord's service for a while, and he's grown up. The word boy is like young man, like young lad, like a teenager. Same term that they use for David a few chapters later when David comes up out of the armies to go fight Goliath. Probably a teenager. Uh, we're not exactly sure of the age, but he's not a baby anymore. He, he is a young boy. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. Now, this happened during a dark time in, in Israel's life where choices people made, their relationship with God wasn't quite there, and Hearing from God wasn't as prevalent as it had been before. People weren't hearing his voice. People weren't seeing visions about what God was doing. Now, they were all still attending church. Okay, They were all going to the temple. But it was kind of like, we're going, but we're not really hearing anything. Do you, do you get that? Be like coming to church and, and walking away and never hearing anything from God. It was a dark, sad time. And it happened at the time that Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that means he was having eye problems and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out yet, so it was, it was late in the night. And Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. So he was kind of like positioned outside of Eli's place of, of sleeping. Now, Samuel had been dropped off to watch or to, uh, to be the Lord's minister, had been dedicated to the Lord's service. And Eli, the head priest, the high priest, was starting to lose his vision and starting to get older in age, and he needed a helper. And so Samuel was this able-bodied, willing uh, person who was there 24 hours a day, and he was there ready to help. And at that time, verse 4, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel jumps up and he says, I'm here. Here am I. And then he ran to Eli. See, he didn't recognize that it was God's voice in his life. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go do what? Go lie down again. So he went and laid down. God speaks to Samuel, but Samuel doesn't recognize that it's he thinks it's Eli, but he jumps up immediately and goes to serve him. 
But Eli is like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Verse 6. Then the Lord called again. This is what time? Number two. Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he answered, this is Eli, I did not call you, my son. Go lie what? Down. Now, here's an interesting verse. This is kind of the explanation verse. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He did not know the Lord. Do you remember what we said knowing was? It's not just being familiar with. Knowing is having an intimate, deep relationship with. So at this point, Samuel did not know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. So he didn't know what God's voice sounded like. He did not know the Lord. And so then the Lord called Samuel again for how many times? A third time. And he gets up immediately and goes to Eli and says, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli did what? He recognized or discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. He's like, whoa, okay. First of all, you're interrupting my sleep, but now this has happened three times, so something must be up. If you're hearing a voice and we're in the temple, guess who you're probably hearing? You're hearing God. And so he gives him some instructions. And then Eli said to Samuel, verse 9, go lie down. So kind of the same pattern. And it shall be, if he calls you again, if this voice calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Verse 10. How many times is this? Four times. Talk about an interrupted sleep pattern here. The Lord came, and look at this. He stood. Can you just pause there and think about that? Samuel's laying down in the temple of God. And now he's not just hearing a voice. But look what happens. The Lord came and stood and called as the other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel spoke. Speak for your servant is listening. This was no dream. The Lord came and he stood and this was a physical presence Samuel could see. And Samuel repeats back most of what Eli says to him. He probably was taken back that God was right there. Eli has just said, listen, it's not me speaking, it's got to be God. He's called you three times. Now go back to bed, God's going to show up. How well would you sleep? Think about it. Think about it as a child. How well did you sleep the night before Christmas? Or whenever you opened your presents? Not very well, right? Because we said someone was going to show up, you, you know? Our parents told us these things, if, if you had parents that told you these things, okay? If your parents are still telling you that, I'm not going to mess with your mind right now. But, you know, we think he's going to show up and bring these presents, and we're all excited. But we never see him. We never catch him. Eli tells Samuel, go lay down, and God will speak to you again. And if he does, you say this. And so the Lord shows up next to him and wakes him up. Physical presence. It would be scary. My, if I were Samuel, it would have been like, and Samuel passes out and is woken up three days later. 
That's probably what would have happened. Now, look at what happens. And the Lord says to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. So he's going to do something, and everyone's ears are going to hear it. Everyone's going to be talking about it. It's going to be buzzing. It's going to be tickling in people's ears. It is going to be a, a big thing. In that day I will carry out against Eli, this is Samuel's mentor, all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the sin which they knew, which he knew about because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Which means I told them what they were doing and he knew what they were doing and I told him he better do something about it, but he didn't do anything about it. He turned a blind eye to it. Now, Eli's sons were rotten skunks. They were watching people come into church, and they'd be like, can you open up your wallet right now? You know, can, can I see the wallet? And they'd take out the nicest bill. Okay? In that day, it was meat, okay? So they were bringing sacrifices, and they would take the best cut and put it in their own pocket, in their own pot, and they would eat that, and they were doing all sorts of things. So it'd be like today, during the offering, I just went ahead of the offering plate and just walked through, excuse me, Excuse me. And I just, oh, oh, that's a nice one. And then just, you know, ooh, you've got a nice one. And, and so they were kind of ripping off not only the people coming in of their offering, but they were ripping off God of his offering. Does God like to share? Not really. Think of the first couple commandments. There is only. Second one is cut out the idols, right? So. It's pretty important to him that he was the only one worth it. And these guys were putting themselves in the place of God. I'm going to take your offering, and I'm going to do with it what I want to do with it. Eli saw it happening, but did nothing about it. And so now God's about to judge him and his family, and he's giving these words to Samuel. I'm about to do this. And therefore, verse 14, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the sin of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering forever. This means this. My judgment will be so swift, he will not have time to go ask forgiveness. It's going to happen immediately. So Samuel laid down until the morning. Notice he, it says he laid down. There's no sleeping involved, probably. A, he's just seen God face to face. God has spoken to him. And then God has leveled this huge thing against Samuel's mentor. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord in the morning when it was time. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel, and this time he's calling him, Samuel, my son. And what did Samuel say? Here I am. It was like the mantra of his life. Here I am. Someone would call him. Here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord has spoken to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me, all the words that he spoke to you. So if you do not tell me what he told me, then what's going to happen, what he said will happen, will happen to you and moreover. So now, what choice does Samuel have? Is he going to sugarcoat what has been said? Is he going to dumb it down? This is going to happen anyway. You can tell him anything, and it's still going to happen, right? So here's the first test. Samuel heard the Lord, but now he's got to do something with it. 
And that's really what the point of the morning is. We not only should hear, but we should do something. Let's continue. So what does he do? Verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and did, and hid nothing from him. And he said, this is Eli speaking, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Verse 19, therefore Samuel grew, and the Lord was, what? With him, and let none of his words, what? Fail. Now, some of your version, does anyone have the version where it says fall to the ground? Does anyone have that? Raise your hand. Okay, so I've been reading NASB, and I get to this, and in the study it said that. So I look it up, and I'm like, I have never, ever taught that before. So it's like God spoke to him, and Eli thought, or Samuel thought, God's words are so important that he was going to do every single one of them. So when God would speak, he would do everything God would do say he should do or say or speak and he would do every single one of them faithfully and the Lord protected what Eli's prop or Samuel's prophecies were so if Samuel said this is the Lord's prophecy this is what he says to you guess what it happened because he caught all of God's words coming down faithfully no matter how heavy it was okay catch it and catch it and he didn't let any of those fall to the ground and so he brought these words over here and he presented them the way he caught them. Now, if someone throws me a vase, a glass vase, and I miss it, and then I pick up the pieces and I glue it back together, and then I present it the way I think it should be, has the message changed? Has the vase changed? You better believe it. So Samuel's catching the words from God. He's doing what they're saying that he should do faithfully, so he's catching them. Like a good catcher is going to run in the outfield and he's going to sacrifice his body you see it, it makes all the plays on ESPN. They fling themselves into the stands if they have to. They're willing to break their arms over the top of the thing. You know, you've seen it. They run smack dab into the thing. All they're worried about is that ball. The good ones don't look. They just keep running. They keep running, and they're looking at that ball, and they're looking at that ball, and they make sure it doesn't matter if their body impacts that wall. They're going to catch that ball, and they're going to bring it safely to the ground, still in their midst. It's that important. How often do we treat God's word in our life like that? We come to church and the ball's being thrown to you, but what do we do with it afterwards, me included? Do we just kind of let it hit us in the head and then bounce down the aisle and then underneath and some kid behind us grabs the ball and then holds it up? point of the morning is this. We shouldn't just recognize God's voice. Rather, what we should do instead is don't let any of his words fall to the ground. We shouldn't just recognize his voice. We shouldn't just come to church and hear what God's word says to us. We should actually do something with what God's voice is saying. It's a double entree. If you want God's presence in your life, you can't just recognize that he's there. As a Christian, you should recognize he's with you. He's living inside of you. He's all around you. He's with you all the time. We should recognize that. The second part of being a follower of Jesus and knowing him is actually doing something with those words. Now, often.
often the first question that I'm asked after studying through a passage like this is what? How can I be sure I know it's God's word? How many were thinking that? Okay, me. I was. So Now, I know I normally do like a one-point sermon, but today I have 11. So we had one, and now we have 10 more. You guys ready? We're just going to whip through these. I figure to save confusion, we might as well send you home with the cheat sheet. Is that good? So here we go. Now, this comes from the book uh, from Roger Barrier, uh, Listening to the Voice of God, or Listening to God's Voice. Here's 10 ways to recognize it's God's voice, okay? And these really do help. One, God tends to speak with gentle leading. Most times, God doesn't come in the fireworks. He doesn't come in the, the plane crashes. He doesn't come in the storms. He comes with a gentle whisper. We need to be tuned into that. He has a still, small voice. Look up 1 Kings 19, 9 through 13. There's an interesting story. There was a bunch of fireworks and earthquakes and, and loud noises. But God's voice was not in them. He came in the whisper. The whisper. Now, secondly, God's voice produces freedom. God's voice isn't going to tell you to do something that puts you in bondage. Now, you may end up in jail because of what you said or what you stand up for. That's a totally different story. What I'm talking about is sin bondage. God isn't going to ask you to sin. It produces freedom. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, it's work. But who are we yoked to? Jesus he does all the work. Three, God tends to speak when I'm seeking him. There's a real important part. He says in Jeremiah, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when. Notice there's a key word here. When. You will find me. You will hear me. When you seek me with all of your Fourth one, when God is speaking, there's a sense that everything is under control. That means this. God's not going to turn you into a mindless zombie walking around like a puppet. If that's the way he wanted to do things, we'd all be saved. For God so loved the world. So if God wants mindless puppets, he would have done that a long time ago. We are not going to be possessed by God. God convicts of specific sins. John 16.8 says, The Holy Spirit will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. If it's God speaking, it'll sound like this, okay? This morning over coffee, do you remember what you said to your daughter? Yes. Now you have to go apologize. Satan works like this. You're a loser. You'll never get anything right. You always mess up. You'll keep messing up. God can never use you because of all the things you've done. You get it? Satan's way keeps me pressed down. God's guilt leads us to repentance. Man, I need to go talk to my dad. I need to ask for apology. I need to change my ways. It leads me to a, a better relationship with God. Six, God speaks with 100% truth that can be tested by the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, if you've been in Awana, you should know this. All Scripture is what? Inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be what? Complete, equipped for every good work, which means this. Two or three verses out of context make for a great poem. They'll say, oh, there's one here in Judges. We'll go to Judges 14.8, and then we'll take Luke 14.2, and we'll combine these two, and I'm going to create a theology around two verses. God's word is a whole, from front to back, from back to front, and everything in the, in the middle. That makes for someone who knows God. Not two or three verses, because we've got a guy saying, I'm, I've got this great revelation from God, it's brand new. Man, you better make sure it fits all the way through. Because if it doesn't, that dude's an agent of Satan. Number seven, God's voice will always lead to deep, abiding sense of peace. Sometimes, sometimes obedience comes before the peace. We like to quote, and the peace of God will pass into all understanding. We love that verse. But before that, there's some action steps that you need to be doing. So look up that verse later today, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Sometimes obedience comes before the peace. Number eight, wise, get wise counsel from Christ followers you trust. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Number nine, make sure that you are sense, what you're sensing from God really agrees with the nature and character of God. Here's just an example. Here's just an example. And the band's going to come up because we're just going to go right into worship at the end here. So don't worry about who's down here. Okay? Here's an example. Someone told to me just three months ago, God cares about my happiness so much, that is why I cheated on my husband. doesn't care about your happiness. God cares about your marriage. And if you cared about your marriage like he does, then you would probably find happiness. God is not going to tell you to do something that he tells you in other scripture not to do. And here's where we get sideways. We hear these things or we read a verse out of context and it seems like God is asking us to do something. But if it doesn't line up with the rest of what he says, then guess what? It's not from God. God does not want you to cheat on your spouse. He wants you to love your spouse more than you love yourself. Hebrews tells us that he does not lie. So make sure that he's not contradicting himself. Number 10, the last one. Ask yourself, does this agree with my conscience? John 16, 13 says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he will guide us to do what? Things that are true. So we've got the super conscience in us. When you accept Jesus, God places his power, his Holy Spirit into your life. And now you've got a super conscience. It's not like, I probably shouldn't do this. Your conscience is screaming, you shouldn't do it. So when your conscience is screaming, don't do it, don't do it, guess what? It's God. And you should probably listen. Because whatever you're about to do, you're about to do with him with you. So what will you do? 
Will you come and hear God's word and walk away and do nothing? Or will you not let any of his words fall to the ground? Meaning, will you do what he tells you to do and will you do it immediately? Will you with me stop just hearing, just stop receiving God's word and start doing God's word? And when we do, guess what? We're going to hear his voice louder and we're going to hear it clearer and it's going to be more constant in our life. But it's our choice. What will we do? Your culture will not help you. Your work probably won't help you. Your life in general probably will not help you. You must decide to do it and not let any of God's words hit the ground. So what will you do? Let's bow Speak to us, God, for your servants are listening. In your most precious name.